electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Mike Santoli. Jim Cramer has the morning off. Futures are a bit soft. S&P's at risk of ending a four-week win streak as investors consider whether this bear market rally has run its course for now. Big options expiration will keep things interesting. Dollars headed for the best weekly rally since June. Our roadmap begins with Bed Bath. Shares plunging after it was confirmed. Investor Ryan Cohen sold his entire stake in the company. Also, Fed officials' comments about interest rates are weighing on futures. Uh, We have a four-week win streak that perhaps is in jeopardy for both the S&P and NASDAQ. And more fallout from weaker consumer demand hitting another retailer, Wayfair, announcing job cuts. Stock down sharply this morning. Big story this morning is Bed Bath & Beyond sinking after activist investor Ryan Cohen exited his position in the company. A bunch of headlines this morning swirling, David, about the company's uh, efforts to address at least the debt load at this point. Yeah, they have deteriorating fundamentals. Uh, They've had deteriorating fundamentals for some period of time that have only worsened, which is uh, something you often see in names that we call the meme stocks in terms of a short squeeze that occurred here as a result of uh, some of the actions of Mr. Cohen. You know, a lot of um, market participants, as I like to call them, or longtime sources of mine, are really enraged uh, about this, feeling that the integrity of the market in some way has been uh, certainly impugned and, uh, and that it, you know, it's reflective of sort of something they don't like. Uh, but it's unclear that there is anything that actually occurred here that could be prosecuted in any way. Uh, uh, by the SEC or anybody else. Um, you know, Mr. Cohen, as we pointed out, and by the way, yesterday I pointed out many times the expectation that he had already sold the stock. Remember, they filed the 144. We'd seen the volume that had actually taken place on the, on the previous two days. And in fact, he had been selling uh, based on his 13D, which indicates, of course, he, he doesn't own anything anymore. He'd been selling, Mike, on Tuesday and Wednesday, heavily in the stock, and also all those options as well. Options, by the way, that were not new positions, but had been refiled with a new D that did seem to put even more fuel on the fire, sending the stock even higher for this amazing short squeeze, which he, of course, took advantage of, but others are left holding the bag on. Yeah, short squeeze in part. um, it, It takes a lot of willing participants to see a filing which, you know, as you say, was reporting a lot of stale positions or not new positions and decide that was a reason to chase uh, this stock higher. This is a $5-ish stock in June, uh, trading down probably in line with what people thought would, would be expected uh, from the fundamental outlook. Um, there's, there is public debt that this company has. You can kind of see the stuff that matures in a couple of years trades at distress levels. It's not a secret, the situation they're in. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, we're talking about matters of disclosure and matters of what information was known by somebody who has board representation, which is Ryan Cohen. Yes. Now, he's not an insider, yeah. though. The three directors exactly. that he obviously was uh, involved in getting on the board are 
You know, listen, if you're the SEC, uh, given how many people I think are imploring them to at least try to do something here, you have to look into it, see if there was any communication. By the way, you got this weird story about this kid at USC who made all this money. Uh, perhaps somehow as well, uh, you know, maybe an uncle or father. It's uh, unclear what the connection, if any, is there with Mr. Cohen. I'm not saying there is one. But right. if you're the SEC, you got to look at all of it. And then, Carl, you have to look at the overall idea of whether it is market manipulation in terms of what occurs in the chat rooms and all the other places where people can get together potentially. But again, we saw it with GameStop. It's not clear that it means anything beyond what it is, and it's not something that could be construed as fraud. All right. And there's the market mechanics. Uh, Mike, you mentioned uh, the uh, fundamental outlook. We'll talk about Ross later today and yeah. their view of the quarter in which they cite both inflation pressures and a promotional environment. Exactly. It's hard to see how you yeah. have both. Uh, but between that and the news of layoffs at Wayfair, we'll, cont- we'll continue to talk about retail next few days. Absolutely. It's not a clean story. The big box retailers seem like they've kind of mopped up their uh, inventory issues, but smaller chains, not so much. And uh, you know, and the, the spending at the top line level, uh, the government report on retail sales yesterday was fine, but it's probably skewed more towards services and necessities as opposed to discretionary. So everyone is trying to figure out what the what the real level is. And somebody like Bed Bath Beyond, where you had a sec- secular issue already uh, in terms of declining market shares, yep. you know, coming home to roost. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, this week has been a somewhat mixed picture for retail. Obviously, we started yes. off with the strong numbers from Walmart. Uh, Home Depot, pretty good lows. But then on the other side, we got Target, Kohl's later in the week, Ross, as you just said. So not sure there's something. Yeah, it's noisy. It is. And all of them are well, all the stocks are well below their lows. It's not as if everyone said this is we're in the clear. Um, But they did get a bit of relief relative to what was feared. Uh, And again, it, it, it doesn't seem like what the retailers are saying should mean that you should decide that on a macro basis, the consumers is spent out. At all, I mean, people got concerned about the rebuild of credit card balances. You know, the the, the the consumer credit numbers surged. They're still below the levels and the trend line of before the pandemic. So it's just a rebuild of uh, of you know of, of a little bit of consumer leverage. It seems not that big of an issue. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot more about retail in the coming blocks, especially a Foot Locker. Uh, it's going to open up 25% this morning on this Mary Dillon hire. But first to the broader market. So futures are falling on this last trading day of the week. Uh, a week of a lot of uh, Fed speak in which they are sticking to the argument about sticky inflation. And that sort of explains the two-year and the dollar strength this week. Right? Yeah, to me, those are the two things that um, they're, they're listening to the Fed, which, by the way, is the Fed is simply saying the framework hasn't changed. We told you it's going to take multiple months of inflation coming down in a decisive way before they really decide to take their foot off the brake. And the market, because this is what markets do, is trying to project out six months ahead uh, and say the leading economic indicators are basically showing an economy near stall speed, perhaps. And inflation is probably going to become more friendly because energy is way off the high. So therefore, uh, maybe it'll get easier. Now, uh, stocks were up 17 percent uh, in two months, got overbought on a short term basis, backing off today. We have an options expiration. The S&P seems to want to sit for the moment at around 4250. Guess what? Around number that seems to me uh, still in the normal pullback zone. But you have to be alert to the fact that this stock market this year has not been able to make progress with a 10 year Treasury yield at or above 3 percent. You're pushing 3 percent again. Uh, the two-year note, as you mentioned, not too far off the highs. It's building in a few more, uh, few more hikes. Let's say one percent more uh, of rate hikes, and, and I think that sort of all has to be digested at this point. Even if you know 
uh, as a lot of the technical folks and a lot of the, the people who want to kind of read the, the vapor trail, as I say, of the rally uh, and say that was a good momentum lift off the lows. That's the kind of move we gained back more than half of the total losses, which usually wins back the benefit of the doubt for the rally, at least meaning that the low is in, if not, you know, up and away from here. Next week's Jackson Hole, right? Yes, and next week is Jackson Hole. And PMIs. And PCE, right? Yeah. We got a few. There's plenty happening. Yeah, good. Sure. Because otherwise, <laughs> it's not easy. No. Two weeks to go before Labor Day. I don't know. No, we we're, we're through with the earnings now, and then yeah. it's uh, into into macro mode. Yeah, you, you're going to have a lot to say, Mike. Whether or not you have anything to say or not, you're still going to have to it's, say it. It's a job that expands to fill the time you get. Yes. <laughs> the control room will not say round. You got more. Keep going. All right. Uh, let's totally. Let's continue the conversation. Bring in Fidelity Investments Director of Global Macro, Yuri and Timmer. Yuri and happy Friday. Great to see you. Good morning. Uh, you, you raised the point in your note, uh, the question of whether or not we're venturing into a new cyclical bull market or if this is simply a bear market rally that, in your words, is now at an overbought extreme. What do you think? Well, I can tell you that uh, we don't know the answer, unfortunately. And the problem with technical analysis is that unless you add some context or made some, make some assumptions, um, a lot of indicators are kind of inconclusive. So uh, I can tell you that uh, we've had a good breath thrust, as they call it. We have had very good breath, you know, percentage of stocks above their 50-day. I think it was at 92% a few days ago. We've retraced half of the rally, as, as Mike said. Um, and, and bear market rallies ha really generally do not retrace more than half. So. If you were a bear and you thought this was a bear market rally and you look at the overbought technical condition, you look at the return to the 200-day moving average, you look at a 50% retracement, this is a pretty, you know, compelling opportunity set if you are leaning in that in that direction. Um, often the test will come what happens after this overbought condition. And we are overbought. You look at the stochastics, the breadth numbers, we're, we're all short-term overbought. Um, and so how the market behaves from here, I think will be very important. And I liken this particular moment uh, to kind of the, the June 2020 moment, which was, of course, was the first momentum peak in obviously a very strong bull market. And I'm not saying this is going to be the same way, but it took some time to digest that. And then the market kind of resumed its rally. So we are we are very much at a fork in the road. I, I do think that um, at the bottom, at down 25%, the market discounted a lot of bad news, right? And so if investors were preparing or bracing for a recession and that recession doesn't come, and so far I don't think it has, then of course the market got way too oversold at down 25%. Even if right. a recession does come, but it's kind of a technical one, not associated with mass layoffs and things like that, at 25% down, discounting what would typically be a 35% bear market, it priced in 70% of a recession outcome. So that's kind of how I think of it. So I think the bottom is probably in, but you know, financial conditions are easing again, even though the Fed still has 100 basis points of rate hikes ahead. So if I were at the Fed, I would imagine I'm a little bit perturbed by that and would want to jawbone the markets back into, hey, we're not done yet, uh, so don't, sure. don't declare victory too soon. So David mentioned Jackson Hole. Is that the place to do it? I, I, oh, sorry. Yuri, I said, David mentioned Jackson Hole next week. Is that the place where you would expect uh, Powell to start to temper some of those those hopes for the bulls? 
I, I think so. I mean, the Fed has gotten to two and a half. It's presumably is going to three and a half. Uh, credit spreads are narrowing. Bond yields are down, at least until a few days ago. Um, and equities are up. And so it could be Jackson Hole uh, by Chair Powell, of course. It could be other 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 Fed officials. But you know, if if financial conditions ease too soon, even though the inflation rate apparently has peaked on a rate of change basis, I think the Fed would want to make sure <clears throat> that the market doesn't get too complacent here. Um, and remember, the CPI, we're, we're in August now, the CPI is already up 6.8% year to date, right? So even if inflation rolls over, you know, in a more significant way than it even has during the last month, we're going to end up with, you know, 7-8% inflation this year. Um, and I think the, the risk for the markets is that we, you know, I mean, if you look at the tips market, the tips market thinks we're going to be back at two and a half in five years, which, you know, wouldn't that be great that we've, we're back in Goldilocks. But let's say it only goes down to four percent or five. And what happens if we get a recession next? What would the Fed be able to do to, to combat that when inflation is still sticky? So I think the Fed will want to err on the side of sounding more hawkish than perhaps it even, it even wants to be to make sure they get to that three and a half percent terminal rate. Yurian, I know that you essentially tried to synthesize a lot of that, the Fed outlook plus how uh, equities are valued by comparing the way the stock market uh, has traded relative to the two-year note yield. What is that now telling you? Um, it tells me that the market is extended to the upside, right? So the market's trading at a forward P.E. of 18. Um, and the good news, of course, is, as we all know, that second quarter earnings season uh, turned out to be the shoe that did not drop, right? Three quarters of companies beating uh, lowered estimates, albeit uh, by about four percentage points. So, so far, you know, that kind of puts us back into the 1994 um, analog, you know, the back back in the Greenspan days. And I've, you know, I've run that analog and the two-year yield, you know, many people look at the 10-year yield, which I do, of course, and that's the foundation for the discounted cash flow model. But the two-year yield is a good proxy for the Fed cycle, where the Fed's going to go. And back in 94, the two-year was basically the only indicator you needed to tell you where valuations were going on the equity side. And every time the equity market rallied, so i.e. the P.E. went up, uh, not supported by a falling two-year, it ended up being a, a, a basically a, a head fake. And right now, the two-year is telling us the P.E. should be at 14.8, and it's actually at 18. So um, it's hard for the market to really break away here um, without earnings growth actually accelerating. But earnings growth is decelerating. And even if it were to accelerate, <clears throat> what would that say about the economy? And would the Fed then have to <laughs> tighten more? So I think the market is kind of trapped here. I, I think the lows are probably in, but it's hard to see the bullish narrative taking it from here back to all-time highs. That's good context uh, and backed by some interesting numbers, Urian. Uh, great weekend. We'll talk soon. Urian Timmer joining us from Fidelity. When we come back, a lot of movers to get to, including GM. I got some news on Home Depot, got some calls on Meta, some more news on sports rights. Take a look at futures here on this Friday. Squawk on the streets back after a break. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Home Depot unveiling a new $15 billion share repurchase program, replacing a prior authorization. Company also announcing that CEO Ted Decker will replace former CEO Craig Muneer as chair, effective October 1. Meantime, GM reinstating its quarterly dividend and increasing its share buyback program to $5 billion. David, they talked about um, opportunistic buybacks after suspending that dividend back in the spring of 2020 due to COVID spending that they are doing. Uh, sort of the choice there, obviously, to continue to reward shareholders. And that shareholder base certainly is accustomed to, I think, some sort of a dividend uh, and, and expects that. I can't help but think that that 1% tax that is now in effect or will be, does it take? I believe next year. Next year, right? Is it under the, under the IRA, yeah. Inflation Reduction Act? It uh, doesn't seem to be stopping any companies from instituting buybacks. You know, I've asked any number of CEOs about it. It's just the cost of doing business. Right. I mean, buybacks these days are not done because the company has decided that the intrinsic value of the shares is that much, you know, above where they're trading and they're going to try to optimize it. They do it as just a means of, you know, rewarding shareholders in a very broad way and and essentially getting cash out of the company and back into the market. Uh, Home Depot is a great example of that. I mean, it's been one of the largest, most consistent repurchases of its own stock over the last, let's say, 15 years. In the last 10 years, the share count's down by a third at Home Depot. Uh, right. It does it out of cash flow. It's the magic is with growing cash flow and buybacks as opposed to just no growth plus buybacks uh, covering for them. So I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense on all levels. GM set the dividend around a, just under a 1% yield level, um, very well covered. So I don't think it's, it's too much of an issue and probably more just an assertion of some degree of confidence that this cycle is not going to quickly turn south. Right. Where does, where's the calculus, though, between satisfying shareholder base that is accustomed to that kind of thing yeah. versus those who want them to step on the gas and invest in the race against the likes of Tesla? Yeah, I mean, naturally, if you own GM, you probably hope there's room for both. And we say that the, the, the shareholder base is accustomed to it. They certainly used to be. I mean, and then it went bankrupt. No, you're, then, you're right. And then uh, it was nothing. And then they had a dividend again. And then, but it's the type of But they have had one since having, Absolutely. having yes, they, they uh, suspended re-emerged. in 2020. Yeah. I think the great... Example of this decision is Disney, right? That's been in the news. And they eliminated the dividend. They say they're longer term, they expect to have it back. And Dan Loeb on Monday, exactly. I think it was Monday, God, that's a long week, uh, when we unveiled his letter, said, please don't reinstate the dividend and actually please use existing cash flows to reinvest in the business exactly. yeah. uh, because that's what's important. And that's sort of a key question. One thing we also sometimes discuss I mean, the metrics that are used by compensation committees for CEOs. Uh, by compensation committees of the board to decide CEO comp uh, include a lot of different things. But they still include, to a certain extent, EPS, which obviously does benefit from, as you say, a reduction overall in Home Depot, for example, in terms of the number of shares outstanding by a third over a longer period of time. That can be very helpful for a CEO who at least has their comp based in some part on that metric. Without a doubt. And by the way, I I believe that the 1% tax 
on buybacks is for net share repurchases. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you're a tech company that does a ton of share of, of, of stock-based compensation and you're constantly flooding the market with shares and you're buying back just to kind of keep, keep case, it even, then you're it, not you having to pay, not the even tax. Have to pay the tax. I did not know I, I think that's the case, or at least that was what the tech industry was, was trying pushing to push for. Cinema probably got that in there yeah. then, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. That's pretty fascinating. It's a huge difference, yeah, for those for, who for are issuing of tons of shares on comps. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, We'll talk more about it, of course, uh, but interesting news out of GM and HD today. Still to come, crypto's getting crushed a bit. Uh, you do get Bitcoin uh, re retracing some of its recent steps to the upside. Futures still a bit weak, as we said. A lot of options expiration will mean you got to watch all day long. Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Watching crypto today, Bitcoin down 8% this morning. That's about a three-week low. A lot of the stories about this, uh, Mike, say unclear why the sudden weakness, although Hood did have uh, volume data last night, and crypto's down almost 60 year on year. Yes, uh, some, some user, growth, user loss yep. uh, at, at Hood. Um, it fits in with the general dynamic that's been going on this week of stuff that ripped off the lows. There was definitely a little bit of a grab for some of the riskier stuff. Uh, you know, the speculative tech stuff, the uh, biotech, it's all come in. The cloud group is down three and a half percent this week. I'm not sure if it's more complicated than that. Um, you know, there has been a little more uh, kind of at the fringes, regulatory scrutiny of various types of uh, structures and you know, coins and things that, uh, that that seems to have maybe pushed the line, but I'm not sure it accounts for this. Uh, it's been underperforming the broader NASDAQ. Remember, it was kind of trading right in there for a while. It didn't really grab most of the uh, of the rally we got in the big stuff. But that's partly because Apple has had an outsized impact on this last rally uh, in terms of the growth stocks. And um, that's really not a risk on stock. It's kind of its own, uh, you know, kind of aircraft carrier people decide to, uh, to, to, to go on to when they think things are gonna get rough. Apple that's represents, a, yeah, I'm sorry, more than 7% of the yeah. S&P right now, 7. right? 7.3 or four. Uh, I was looking at it, I may actually hash these numbers out later. It's as big as the industrial sector. Of the the entire industrial about, sector about, in terms Apple, of its weighting in the S&P. Industrial sector is about little, a little over seven and a half. Um, industrial sector, three million employees, 1.6 trillion in revenue. So it just tells you. I mean, look at the separation on the right hand of that chart, to your point exactly. about the general yes. uh, taking off. By the way, today, key goes from 177 to 185. And we're a few days out from the event where we expect the 14 launch. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's not quite concerned if that's, I mean, confirmed that that's going to be the date. But it's, it's fascinating to me because, yeah, there's been this pattern where they, it rallies into a launch and all that stuff. It seems to be kind of just moving because it's been moving and people feel comfort in it. And there's the buyback and there's Buffett and, um, and they just, you know, they're not a lot of growth, but they're navigating through uh, the China situation. 
and everything else. Tons of options activity, I know, also. People pointing that out for a stock that huge, $2.8 trillion in market cap. It just has this steady, huge option flow. And that shows you when, you know, it, it really is just kind of about these bursts of demand uh, that have gotten it to this point. It's at an interesting spot, though, not too far off the highs. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that as we get ready here for the opening bell. Final one of the week. Get your look at the bell and the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board today. It is Liberty Energy celebrating its ESG report at the NASDAQ. SPAC GSR2 Meteora acquisition Corp. as we watch breath fill in. By the way, watching the VIX today as well, which is average at about 21 in the month of August. That's about the lowest since November. As a monthly average, um, you know, 20 is kind of the very long-term average, but uh, with massive variation around it. It's hard to say that it's telling us something um, concerning necessarily beyond what we've already seen, the daily market movements. Um, you know, what does it take for the, for the VIX to really go higher from here? It takes people being very concerned about the next 30 days of the S&P 500, what it's going to do, and to pay up for the protection uh, against it. And that just hasn't really uh, been a great bargain for people, at least psychologically for people. So it's sitting where it is. Uh, it reflects a, a more stable market, well up off the lows, and this general sense out there that it would take another macro shock probably to knock it back. So whether that means you know oil rebuilding uh, some of its losses uh, or you know something out of Jackson Hole. Right now, I don't I don't look at the VIX and say it somehow has it wrong. Uh, because it, it basically has been this relatively slow and managed bleed lower since those highs in June. Right. As for the discussion about earlier in the week about the 200-day moving average and retracing 50%, uh, does all of that sort of lead to one note for you, the idea that we, we got to a level where you expect things to get tested? Yeah, I mean, it, oh yes, in terms of this pullback yes, here, yeah. it's completely intuitive. It makes sense. It, uh, as Jeremy was saying, we got overbought in the short term. What I find a more interesting question is, is the historical, you know, overwhelming evidence that when you get more than half of a rally back, it means that the, the, the bear market's low is in, and this is it. Um, I don't want to push against the idea that that would be the case. I think the benefit of the doubt is now with people who say that the low is in and we'll work it out from here however we do. But there's been so much that's unorthodox about this particular cycle, right? The market peaked before the Fed raised rates for the first time. Remember at the beginning of the year, everyone was like, when the Fed starts to tighten, the market does great for the first six months. And it just has not been in sync. And on the way up in 2020, the number of times we said, this is the fastest, this is the biggest, this is the most in terms of the speed of a recovery we ever had. So I don't want to say that the rules are different now, but I, I feel I understand why people who say, well, we got back 52% of the total losses, and that means you can safely, you know, uh, count on upside from here. I, I understand why there's a, there's a healthy debate around that. Um, we're seeing what we typically do in sort of a broader sell-off, which is money seems to be moving more into the pharmaceuticals, yeah. into some of those more defensive names. Uh, we've got Merck and Pfizer both up. There was a story today in the Wall Street Journal about the transition that will take place sort of as this year goes along into next year in terms of the government no longer paying for various COVID-related therapeutics. Um, obviously, Merck has Molnupiravir out there, but Pfizer really with Paxlovid and with the vaccines uh, perhaps a beneficiary of that even more so in terms of on the profitability side, conceivably. 
um, making more money than when they just sell it straight to the government. Although, again, a lot remains to be ironed out on that. But uh, other than GM, on the, you know, seeing most names in the in the uh, in the red right now, GM is up 2.3 percent on that news that we shared earlier, uh, as well. Yeah, I was going to say, um, in terms of like what would be still a normal overall pullback in, in the S and P, you know. 40, if you remember 4170, Carl, before you went away, that was the, the, the ceiling. Everyone said, got to get above. It's the early June highs. It's a low going back, you know, to the early part of this year. And the March rally took off from there. Well, that's still below where we are right now. If you kind of went back to that, uh, I think everyone would say, yeah, this is just normal stuff going into uh, a potential Jackson Hole week where there's something uh, that we might have to have our ears perked up for. Right. Speaking of normal stuff, uh, Bed Bath down 42 uh, at the open here, back to 10 and change. It sounds remarkable, but it's really only giving back half of the rally that began in late July, yeah. Um, yeah. which just shows you the, the magnitude of that run-up in the, just the past three weeks. Absolutely. Um, you know, even some of the, the sell-side targets, the folks who, uh, you know, just look at it as a retailer as opposed to, yeah, you know, kind of this mass trading phenomenon, you know, price targets are in the five area, and that's based on just, you know, a price-to-sales ratio that seems to be consistent with the rest of the group going into next year's revenues. I mean, you know, that's not even saying what it means on the liquidity side for the company. So, um, and by not the a way, surprise, it's, it's bonds. Its bonds are trading at forty cents on the dollar. Yeah, uh, and that, you know, obviously that's much more of a tell than has been the stock price, which again we're seeing come down dramatically. Yesterday we told you many times that it was very likely, in fact I said it many times, very likely that Mr. Cohen had already sold his stock. Uh, there were those, of course, who wanted to believe otherwise. Um, he made a lot of money. Uh, now remember, he amassed the position at higher levels certainly than this, uh, I believe, but uh, nonetheless even on those options that he bought in late February, early March at 60, uh, 75 as high as 80, but again, cashing out of everything over the last few days during this week. Most, most of the t uh, Tuesday and Wednesday were the big days in which he sold his entire position, which had been as much, well, initially it was 9.8, then it was up to 11.8 with that strange 13D filing that we pointed out, which really all that it indicated was a higher ownership position of the outstanding shares. Uh, but there was no change in that options position, which he originally had told us about back in the spring, um, but did seem to lend a lot of fuel to the fire here, uh, creating a, a potentially significant short squeeze that sent the stock up. Well, you can see it right there um, most recently. We can even look at the last couple of weeks. Um, we'll see where this thing settles on fundamentals, yeah. because I think, as you just pointed out, Mike, there are many who would argue it is still far far below the current price. Oh, for sure. Um, there's no, and also, of course, you know, the other uh, kind of fellow traveling name stocks, GameStop, yes. you know, down 5%, AMC uh, also coming in off the highs. And that kind of tells you, you know, that, it, that it's mostly about a stampede in one direction, kind of reverses. We can talk about, you know, Cohen board representation, ideas for revamping the business. It wasn't that. It was it was literally just kind of a social phenomenon, uh, and people deciding uh, that there was going to be somebody who was going to buy it higher from them because they were going to believe what you know what, what was what was being propagated. AMC so. has those ape shares, the preferred. Yeah. Remember, they they were not in a position. They were not did not have authorization to actually increase the float of their common, but they are issuing this preferred, which essentially is as, uh, acting as a stock split. I think it's uh, going to begin trading on Monday. 
but it will put AMC in a position to potentially issue more of those and therefore raise more money. Nobody has navigated memes better, we could argue, I think, than, you know, Ryan Cohen obviously has made a lot of money for himself, yeah. but uh, Adam yeah. Aaron has done it for not both himself, but also for the company, which was in jeopardy, as we all know, given how much debt it had to take on yeah. just to be able to make it through the pandemic period. And then yesterday, of course, Adam tweets about his uh, largest competitor, which is Center World Regal. More headlines about that today. Uh, but even after their uh, near-term uh, prognosis, he says we're different because of what he called ape security, to your point about, about ape, right, yeah. and the preferred. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the only, um, yeah, it's, it's the life raft for, for the business. Um, it doesn't get out of the fact that, you know, they also have the same relatively thin movie release slate that everybody's, you know, in the industry is, is noting. Uh, for this quarter and maybe next. Uh, so we'll see. It's, it's an interesting kind of real-world experiment on how long we can keep this, uh, keep this going and see if, if the It's a lot longer than we thought it would out. be. I mean, sure. just in general, it was the GameStop when we first were entertaining this meme thing and trying to understand it. I think many of us expected, well, this won't last more right. than a few weeks. And here we are almost a year and a half or more later. Sure. And it keeps happening again. And we thought a lot of these uh, traders, so to speak, were sort of washed out given the yeah. market declines. Clearly not the case. Now, obviously, it didn't take that much to move Bed Bath. Uh, right. And there's always bizarre kind of fringe stuff going yeah. on in markets. And yeah. it always kind of erupts in a certain way. And I think you could also argue that each time the ball is bounced, it hasn't gotten as high and it's lost a little bit of energy. Uh, and it's been a little easier to knock back off course. But I don't know. It still probably doesn't make you comfortable to short the, you know, <laughs> this type of stuff. Yep. I would imagine. A little bit of a jab uh, yeah. against the shorts. Uh, by the way, speaking of retail, at least on the uh, Bed Bath front, Foot Locker, 110 beats, comps up 10. But the real story, of course, is Mary Dillon, uh, former Ulta chief. And actually, the, I remember her as the former marketing chief for McDonald's, where she ran a billion-dollar budget. Uh, that's going to make uh, Foot Locker one of the very few companies with a female CEO and chair uh, now. Uh, as they try to lessen their dependence on Nike, uh, increase uh, their digital footprint, which is something uh, would, some would argue was Dylan's legacy at Ulta. Exactly, yeah. And um, I mean, market seems to, to love the idea that there's a shot here uh, of remaking it. It's, uh, you know, stock is, it, it's, it's, it's sort of participated really, I think, with the general retail, chain retail move. Uh, we're, we're back still third off of uh, off of the highs. It's a $3.7 billion market cap, which is not tiny in chain retail. And, uh, you know, I guess the idea is the end market continues to grow so much. If you look at, like, number of pairs of shoes that people have, you know, bought over the years, it's been trending higher. The Nike issue uh, maybe has sort of settled at a certain point right now where there's some mutual dependence there. Nike doesn't want to necessarily uh, you know, completely go all direct to consumers. So fascinating opportunity, nothing else. Um, I want to take a look at shares of MSG, guys, just yeah. because the company did come out and, and say that they were entertaining the idea of spinning off their properties. MSGE. Correct. Yes. Thank you for, right. It's important. I mean, there's so many different things. Obviously, this was all once part of Cablevision yes. many years ago. And they have actually created a good amount of value through the various spins that they've done, or at least at one point when I looked at it, but that's some time ago. Obviously, Cablevision itself is long gone, having been bought by Altice. If you keep owning, if you kept owning Altice, ATUS, after that, well, you weren't happy, but that was, I think that was a cash deal. But uh, uh, MSG, considering, MSGE, considering the, the spin of many of the properties that make that up, 
right. sort of separating out into the hospitality, which is a smaller part of it, and all the venues. They keep telescoping out. Um, it's, it's sort of fascinating. So it it's would not be, the Knicks know, and the Rangers, by the it way. It would be Madison Square Garden, the, the building, right. the arena, and the entertainment right. assets in Radio City and Beacon Theater, uh, as well as MSG Network. Yes, that's And then correct. alongside that is the Las Vegas Sphere, this thing they're building there, Tows, yeah. you know, nightclubs and restaurants. Yes. Anyway, the interesting point about that is there is some line out there. We had uh, John Boyer, Boyer Value, on uh, last week, I believe, in the afternoon. And Gabelli, Mario Gabelli's been on this too, essentially saying once forever. the sphere is done and for some reason that's going to clean up the story and then maybe the Knicks and Rangers out of MSGS could be sold or the Knicks specifically. And it got a lot of people chattering because there's this pent up excitement about the possibility of the team having new owners. That's not going to No happen. indication not that that's happen. where it's headed. This no. is a different type of move. And I'm glad you pointed it out. Obviously, it's an important distinction, MSGS versus MSGE. Again, back to the idea of how they've been trying to sort of create different pockets of value, so to speak, and focus. Um, yeah, uh, long-suffering Knicks fans don't expect the yeah. Dolan, uh, don't expect him to uh, to sell anytime soon. Look, Obviously, the value the Rangers, of the team keeps Rangers going up. Rangers had a great year. <laughs> right? value, so, keeps, value keeps going up. So you, you um, have a cushion there When somewhere. it does come to the MSG arena, there are a lot of questions in terms of a redevelopment of the Penn Station area here in New York right. City and what that would mean and the possibility of moving the arena at some point over to Hudson Yards, for example. Again, that is stuff that's just been discussed, but... Uh, but one day could happen. Yeah, although the certainly directionally, the news about sports meteorites yesterday with Big Ten, this morning with uh, Champions League and Paramount is all pointing the same direction, and that is higher. It's very true. Yeah, uh, you know, Paramount's going to pay I think two x what they their prior deal was for the yeah. tournament in the U.S. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they say it's been a, this is a quote from them, a key driver for Paramount Plus since their launch, and they're thrilled to extend the successful partnership showcasing even more world-class soccer through the 2029-2030 season and what they say is the big momentum that they have created. And you can see, of course, uh, what that stock is doing right now at Paramount. But, yeah, it is interesting how they keep going up, uh, the sports rights, and yet you do wonder how it's all going to end up being paid for in part because, obviously, when it is uh, streamers, it's one thing, and obviously when it's Amazon or Apple with endlessly deep pockets, but for those who are relying on cable subs, a la ESPN, um, although, again, they have a streaming product that's important, but it can't support the kinds of numbers on its own that they have to pay to keep these sports rights. It would seem not. Um, and they keep, you know, first of all, that's been a story for so long, so long. at this point. And, and the idea that they're going to hit some kind of a limit. Uh, but it's just it's almost as if as 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 cable shrinks, sports becomes bigger relative it's, to the it's rest. It's the glue, as, yeah. uh, as John Malone has said to me every year. It's yeah. the glue that holds the bundle together to some extent, yeah. although the bundle keeps getting smaller and smaller, the bundle being the, the actual your cable package and the number of, of people who are connected to it gets smaller and smaller every year. Not for us, though, of course. We're, no. No. Although uh, streaming this week, we got news that streaming ex exceeded, exceeded cable view. For the uh, first which is time. An historic marker. Uh, sort of tied to that is Meta this morning, down about two and a half. Uh, Morgan Stanley cuts their estimates for 23. Uh, falling engagement, rising headwinds. Uh, they were at 280. They go to 225, uh, Mike, as Meta sort of comes back to the, the 50 day after having been above it for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, it yeah. seems as if. Um, you know, as soon as it became something more of a, of, a, of a value name and you had to kind of talk about 
cash flow, giving you the margin of safety, it has slowed down. The stock has slowed down. It's kind of given you, a, you know, arguably has given you a chance to accumulate it. Uh, hasn't been able to escape the idea that we're in a tough moment for digital advertising, potentially. Uh, and even though we're lapping all the Apple privacy stuff, uh, it would seem as if it's just kind of stuck at these uh, at these levels, although, uh, you know, still a reasonable value and, and almost the temperature's been turned down on it a little bit. I feel like there's not as much uh, kind of bullish or bearish uh, passion around it. So no, sometimes wait. neglect is OK. Yeah, yeah just maybe. give it a little time. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll turn to both of you. I mean, I noted earlier in the week weakness in Uber and Lyft, and it continues. It's been a bad. I don't know if we have a one week or a two week. Because coming out of earnings, particularly for Uber, the stock had actually performed quite well. It sold off this week. They both have yeah. fairly dramatically. I mean, they're both down again, as you can see, over three plus percent. Not sure if it's just indicative of sort of the, the changing view of where the economy sits right now or, or something else. I don't know either. I mean, for a while, when they had their report, a lot of excitement about the fact that the economics were turning a bit in their favor in terms of driver availability yes. and what they were going to have to subsidize. I don't know if a very strong jobs report that we got in the last couple of weeks said maybe that's not going to be as much of a tailwind. Longer term, since they've been public companies, they have not really uh, proven themselves to be, you know, business models that can, uh, you know, that can gain the trust, frankly, of, uh, of investors. It's still a leap of faith that the model is going to work really well. There's always another investment that has to be made, yeah. and there's always, a, you know, to a certain extent, not the, not anywhere near the free cash flow that, that some were led to expect yeah, would be the case. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Dara said uh, he still has his eyes on investment grade and uh, a few other things, but it has been a U-turn in Uber for sure. Uh, before we go to break, take a look at the bond report. Treasuries today, we did get Barkin out a few moments ago saying that there is a risk of recession on a path to 2% inflation and that... Uh, expects inflation to ease, but it may bounce around. Mike mentioned the stress that a 3% tenure puts on the market, and we are at 297, uh, short end at uh, 323. Back in a moment. S&P down 40 this morning, back to 42.42. Take a look at some of the biggest laggards. There's Moderna and Dish and Etsy, but actually quite a bit of travel names further down on the list, some cruise lines and Wynn, American Airlines in there as well. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Some key buy now, pay later names getting a boost in the last quarter. PayPal and Block up double digits while a firm is nearly doubled. Still, the group down significantly since the beginning of the year. Our next guest, though, remains bullish on the stocks and industry. Joining us to discuss whether now is the time to buy in, D.A. Davidson's Chris Brendler. Chris, uh, good to catch up with you uh, on these names, which, of course, had had a huge decline, people really questioning, I guess, the sustainability here uh, of the business in a tougher economy. You, but you do think uh, that a firm can navigate through. What's the uh, what's the upbeat case for it? Uh, great question, Mike, and thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I really think that a firm is a fintech stock and in a bull market, it's a tech stock and in a bear market, it's a financial um, so you've seen a very significant re-rating of the stock. You know, not, not necessarily that the numbers and the estimates have come down as nearly as much as just the multiple has come down in this different market environment. And and the key layer on top of that is credit risk. You know, I think there's uh, a lot of concerns about the consumer. We've never really seen this kind of inflationary environment affecting the, especially the lower end consumers. And and losses are a sort of a double-edged sword for these companies because not only do they run through the income statement, but they can affect their ability to, to gain funding and really to cause some serious problems for the balance sheet if credit losses go further down. 
Um, Affirm, I believe, is different. Uh, it really has a unique underwriting model, and so far they've really shown themselves to be different and better than their competitors. But it's still early in this downturn, and it really remains to be seen uh, where losses go. Yeah, I mean, obviously the idea that it's um, somehow a better mousetrap in terms of underwriting, in terms of credit, you know, risk selection and things like that. I mean, we heard the similar stuff about Upstart. It hasn't necessarily worked as well on, on those personal loans. So why do you think that something like Apple uh, coming into this general area and even just the, the card issuers in general trying to replicate it are not going to be a headwind for a firm? Um, you know, Two great questions there, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard consumer lenders or any lenders tell tell us that their mousetrap is, is different and better than everybody else's, and, and they've been, a lot of times they've been proven wrong. So really kind of sticking my neck out a little bit here and, and saying a firm is different. Now, of course, Max Levchin, I think it was in a journal recently, said exactly the same thing, that they really believe they are different. And I think there's some key facts about buy now, pay later that do make it um, a different story. Uh, you're underwriting each purchase individually. It's not an open line of credit like a credit card or a five or six year auto loan where you have just have to hope they pay you back. These are short term loans. Each each uh, purchase is underwritten separately by the company. They underwrite every single purchase. They're short term. The payment sizes aren't that big. So it's untested waters because buy now pay later is new a new phenomenon. But there are structural reasons why the credit performance could and should be better than traditional credit products. And then. On the growth side, um, you know, we, we, we love the fact that we're, we're getting more and more consumer adoption and, and some of the big heavyweights in retail that a firm has signed up like Amazon and Walmart, um, I think speak to the power of this new product and this new innovation in consumer finance and having Apple join the fray and as well as Visa and MasterCard. You know, it feels more uh, reactionary than, than the leadership position that a firm has taken. I, I think this market is yeah. competitive, but given a firm's ability to do the, the deeper end of, of the subprime, gotcha. they, they do dip into subprime, and also um, they are the only ones really providing these longer-term loans. Yeah. They, they, they definitely Chris, we got to go. Appreciate it. Made the All case. Right, thanks. thanks a lot, Chris. Brandler. Coming up after the break, a lot more on Bed Bath and that stock action today after Ryan Cohen exits his position. S&P back to 42.35 or so. That's down about 90 points from Tuesday's intraday high. Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.